0: Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he has authorized by the leading priests to arrest every one of them that calls upon his name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take the message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as for the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he he must suffer for my name's sake. So that's going to be our text for the next five weeks um, for our series talking about Paul, um, talking about Paul's real-life conversion story. Um, and I would invite you, um, as we go through these next few weeks, just to be praying over that text, um, to read over it, um, and to really be intentional about the, your thought and prayer about this. Um, and then uh, we, will, we will too. Um, and so right now we're going to take um, this opportunity to pray for that text, and we're going to dive in. All right. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time that you've brought us all together safely. We thank you for um, the lessons of, of Saul's life that he's going to teach us. God, um, as we go through this journey together, we pray that you would just teach us what needs to be taught. We pray that you would speak and that we could listen. Father, we love you so much. We thank you again for this day. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So one more thing before we dive into our lesson for today is kind of the titles that we're going to be going through um, for this sermon series. And so the, the, what it's going to look like is the stages in relation to God. And so the first one of those is going to be Paul's on his high horse mean um, this is a stage I think a lot of us can easily relate to. I know I sure can. There have been times where in am life where I'm, I'm full with zeal, I'm full with passion, and I'm ready to go. I'm on my high horse. Um, and that's, that's where we see Paul in the first bit, and that's where we'll be hanging on today. Um, where Paul is just, he's doing what he believes is right. Um, he's doing that with all the zeal and the passion in the world. After that, we'll go into where um, he is humbled. Uh, and that, that looks like when he's on the road to Damascus um, and, and the light comes down and he's blinded and Jesus calls out to him. Um, and after we get through the, the humbled portion, we'll go to the repentance stage where, where Paul cry, cries out to Jesus. And he's like, look, like I'm, I'm ready. like I'm willing. Tell me what to do. And Ananias comes to him and he, he, he removes the scales from his eyes. Um, Paul can see again and he goes on. Um, and then the next part is back on mission. And this, as we know, is the majority of our New Testament. Um, Paul wrote almost everything in the New Testament. um, And so we know that once he got back on mission, he stayed on mission until the day he died. Um, And so that's just an overview into what we're gonna be doing for the next five weeks. Um, Now to dive into what we're gonna be talking about today. Um, Today, we're gonna be talking about um, who Saul is and what that means going on through the rest of this story. So we're going to be talking about some context stuff. The first piece of that um, that we need to cover is Saul versus Paul. Um, I'm sure a lot of you have been taught or you have heard um, the, the differences in Saul and Paul and how his name was changed and those kind of things. Um, here's, here's the truth in that and here's what, um, what's going on there. So Saul is his Hebrew name and Paul is his Greek name. He is both Saul and Paul for all of his days. Um, But for today, we're going to be focusing on Saul. We're going to be focusing on the Hebrew um, context of that and what that means going forward. And later, after we see that um, he's been humbled and he repents and he's given his life to Jesus, then we'll move into Paul and and what Paul has done. So know that he doesn't have two different names um, in the sense that, like, Jesus changes his name, but what it is is he has a Hebrew name and a Greek name. And um, for today's purposes, we'll be focused on who is Saul of Tarsus. And so a good spot to look for that, to look at who of Saul of Tarsus is, is Philippians 3, 5, um, and 6. Basically, Saul is writing here, and he's talking about flesh in this passage, and he gives us a pretty good insight um, to why he would know what he's talking about and who he is. So uh, let's, just, let's just read through that real quick. It says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on law, faultless. So um, that is who Paul or who Saul was. Um, that is that is who he was growing up, and that's who he recognized himself to be. And so there are some things to take out of that that we can kind of break down. So starting off, we know that he was a Jew. Um, He he came from that area of the world and that faith. Um, He was a Jew through and through. Um, And so that's going to drive a lot of his learnings and a lot of the things he does, a lot of the things he communicates to us later on. Um, The second piece of information is he's a Pharisee. Um, and this is significant because we know the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the New Testament. Um, we know the, the conflict there is with Pharisees and Sadducees. We also know that they're the ones that lead the people. They're the ones that run the temple and those kind of things. So, um, for Paul or for Saul, uh, I'm I'm going to say them interchangeably, just so you know. Uh, I intend to say Saul though. Um, so for Saul, a Pharisee um, is very important. He comes from a long line of Pharisees. Um, in fact, a lot of a lot of um, Historians think that Saul's father was the person who was like the head Pharisee in Tarsus. And so um, it's very likely that his, his father was the one running the temple in the town that he is from, or in the city he is from. Um, and so that plays a huge role in his education and his upbringing. Um, the next bit is he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, And we've already covered that he's a Jew and he's a Pharisee, so this seems kind of obvious. Yeah, you're a Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, But what he's saying here is to set himself apart for the Gentiles that are going to come later. So he's saying that I am a real Hebrew. I am not someone who has become a Hebrew. Um, Later we get this word that's called proselyte. And what that means is a Gentile, the people who weren't from um, the descendants of Abraham, would become um, like them. They would become Hebrews, and that's called a Gentile proselyte. And so what he is saying is, I am not one of those. I am real. I am the real deal. I am legitimate. I am a Hebrew, and that's to set himself apart from a specific group of people. The next thing he says, he's circumcised on the eighth day. Um, I'll spare you the details of what the first part means, but for the eighth day, what he's referring to is... um, He's setting himself apart again from another group of people. He set himself apart from the Edomites. Um, the Edomites, we know, they were circumcised much later in their life, around the 13th uh, birthday that they had. And so he's saying that I am not only a real Hebrew, but I am as legitimate as it gets. I am following the law to a T. Um, and then the next thing we go to is Tarsus. Um, he's a man of Tarsus. Like I said, his father was probably running the temple in Tarsus. Um, he was probably in charge around there. And so Paul comes from the town of Tarsus. And the town of Tarsus is a pretty interesting place. Um, I didn't know this until I was, what's well, interesting to me. I know this is history, um, and it's not always exciting to everyone. But it is exciting once we get into the, the meat of this. Um, so Tarsus was actually a center for Greek learning. Um, in one commentary I read, it said it rivaled Athens and Alexandria. And if you know any two towns from the ancient Greek, um, you know Athens and Alexandria. And it rivaled those two towns in learning and knowledge and the atmosphere and philosophy and those kind of things. Um, And so that was very important for for how he was educated and the place he lived in and those kind of things. Um, So moving forward after that, um, we learn about his education. And this is, this is one of the most important pieces of this context that we're talking about, of learning about Paul um, and, and those kind of things. So for his education, we know that he had a Greek and a Jewish education. We know that he learned um, about, about the, the Greek philosophies and, and those kind of things um, in Tarsus because it was a center of Greek education. Um, but we also know he had a Jewish education. Um, that that this Jewish education taught him about the law of Moses. It taught him about all things New Testament, as we would call it today. Um, And so we know that he had both a Greek and Jewish education. One thing I found interesting, um, and some of you may find interesting as well, is it mentioned that Paul was a tent maker. And we know he was a tent maker because he had to have some way to make money, right? Um, But it wasn't just about that. See, in in this day, um, they believed that to be properly educated, to use the knowledge that you have to the best of your ability, you also had to learn some kind of physical labor. Um, And I think a lot of us, uh, a lot of the older generation believes that about our current generations. We don't know a thing about physical labor. Um, It it adds so much value. If you can really learn what it means to work hard with your hands and your back, you can go home sore. Then, then and only then, did they believe that the knowledge you have can really be used to make a difference because you understand the world in a different way. And so that's what they believe. That's why, that's why he was a tent maker. Um, it wasn't just strictly to earn money um, and those kind of things. Um, and then the last thing for his education we're gonna look at, and this is huge, um, this is super huge, is uh, he studied under Gamaliel in Jerusalem. Um, we're not certain when he went to Jerusalem. We have a roundabout age. But the important bit is that he studied under Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was a really important guy um, in, in this, this time period. He is known as one of the seven great rabbis. Um, we know rabbis are the teachers of this ancient world, and he was known as one of the seven greatest of all time. Um, and, and so he was one of the most knowledgeable men, one of the most wise men in this era. And Paul studied directly under him. Paul had the best of Greek learning and the best of Jewish learning. And we know that that Paul was a pretty big deal in his young age. We know that Paul was on the track to make a difference um, in in the Jewish faith. We know that Paul was likely on the track to be the eighth great rabbi. Um, And so at this point in time of his life, um, Paul is studying what would have been known as the Harvard of the day. It would have been an Ivy League school, it would have been the top of the top, uh, the smartest of the smartest teachers. And so at this time, Paul's, Paul's very, very important. He's a really big deal. Um, and that'll be important as we go through the conversion, as we get through the transformation and those kind of things. Um, and the final thing we're going to touch on in the history portion of this, um, we're getting there, uh, is Roman citizen. He was a Roman citizen. Um, and so being a Roman citizen is really important um, because it allows you so many avenues and so many ways uh, to communicate with people and to do things that a lot of people couldn't. And um, citizenship in Rome was very difficult to attain. Um, Unless you were born into it, you could be born as a child and you had Roman citizenship. But aside from that, either it came from paying a large sum of money, which Paul being a tent maker probably didn't have a large sum of money, and um, it could also come from being told uh, by the ruler or rulers in Rome um, that you could be a citizen. And so More or less, there's not really a way to become a citizen unless you're very special. Um, And so Paul was a Roman citizen, and that'll be important as he goes on throughout his ministry. Um, So now diving into our actual text for today. We're out of the history portion, so if you checked out a little bit ago, you can check back in here and we'll actually get to some sermon. Um, So our text for today is Acts 9, 1, and 2. I'm going to reread that and then we'll break it down a little bit. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of the followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So there's some important language that we want to cover in that. Um, that, that really makes a difference here. So the first one is, is still or meanwhile. Um, that word there is really important because it tells us there's something before this. Though this is where we get his transformation account, his conversion account, um, there's something that came before this. And if you look back just one, one page or one chapter um, in, in chapter 8 and then in chapter 7 at the end of it, we know that Paul was at the stoning of Stephen. Um it says as they stoned him Stephen prayed Lord Jesus receive my spirit he fell to his knees shouting lord don't charge them with this still and then he died It says Saul was one of the witnesses and he he agreed completely to the stoning of Stephen so we know that he was at the stoning of Stephen and, and at this time he was a young man um but he he agreed to it and you know that when they fell at his feet they went to him that they were coming to him for a reason he must have been a man of authority um, he must have been a man of importance. So already at a young age, maybe 14, 15 years old, um people are coming to Saul and and they are seeking his approval. Um and then moving on into chapter eight, we find that that he's already persecuting the church and the church is being spread apart. Um so Paul and Saul, ah, Saul is already making a huge impact on the church, and he'll continue to do that for the rest of his life. Um and so the word still will be really important for this. The next word that's really important is breathing. Um, and this, this, for me, immediately sends up lights and sends up sparks. Because I know when I hear the word breathing, it makes me think of other things in the Bible. For instance, Genesis 1. Um, it makes me think of the language of creation. When God breathed and there was life. It also makes me think of John 20, 22, where, where Jesus was about to leave for good. And he breathed. The Holy Spirit into them. He breathed the breath of life into them, um, into the disciples. And so we get this language of breathing throughout um, the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, in in the idea of creation, in the idea of new life. And then here, when Paul uses it, it's the exact opposite. Or when Saul, when Luke uses it, when Saul says it, um, it's the exact opposite. It's, it's death. It's, it's not new life. It's destruction. He's seeking to get rid of the way. He's seeking to imprison them. And so I think it's very important that we see the contrast in language there and um, in, in how that um, really makes a difference in this. Um, the final thing, which perhaps I could have covered earlier, but I'll keep you on your toes tool now, is the way. Um, when Luke says the way, he's just referring to Christians. Um, the word Christians wasn't used then. It wasn't known then, um, and so they called them the way, followers of the way. That's the followers of Jesus. Um, and so when Luke uses that throughout all of Acts and throughout Luke, um, it's just referring to what we now know as Christians. Um, so diving in now, we're going to get to like, the, the, the importance of this, the meat of this, and something that I really want you guys to take home, really want you to hang on to, um, because it's, it's definitely made an impact for me. So we're going to start with Saul's encounter of truth. What happens in the next stages of Saul's life? We have Saul on his high horse. We have Saul being zealous, going out, persecuting, um, going out and and doing whatever he can to stop the way. Now we have Saul's encounter with truth and what that means. Saul Saul was zealous because he believed what he was doing was right. But that all changed when he encountered truth. He believed everything he was doing was the correct thing to be doing. And so he did it to his utmost ability. Um, and so the question I would like to pose you, pose to you guys, and, and I pose to myself, is: Does zeal or passion ever cloud our vision of truth? Paul was doing what he believed to be right. Paul was, Paul or Saul was, he was going out and he was making a difference when what he believed he should be doing and what he'd been taught to do. And now, when he encounters truth, he realizes that's all wrong. So, do you ever let zeal cloud your vision of truth? Next, we're going to go into an Old Testament story. We're going to jump a little bit um, back, to, back to King Josiah. And if you know the story of King Josiah, you know that he was the youngest king ever um, to sit on the throne of Jerusalem. Um, he was eight years old when he became king. Uh, that's fairly young to start ruling. I know, I know several eight year olds, and I don't know that any of them are ready to be king. Um, but Josiah was put in that position by birth, and, and he had no choice, he had to become king. Um, And so he becomes king at eight years old. He rules for ten years. And and in the Bible, it says it was good. It was right in the eyes of God, um, which is a big deal. Most of the kings in in both um, Israel and Jerusalem weren't good. Um, There were only a few good kings. And so Josiah is recognized as doing what was right. Um, After that, they come in contact with the truth, the word, the law. Um, a person he sends to go to the temple comes back and he says, King Josiah, we have found the, the scrolls of Moses. We have found the lessons that he left us with, the law. Um, and what do you want me to do? And Josiah says, we've got to read them. We've got to see what we're doing wrong. And so he reads them to him. Um, and Josiah tears at his clothes. He tears at his hair. He begins to weep and to mourn because he realizes that he, not only he has strayed from the truth, but his ancestors have too. Um, and so, when Josiah encounters the truth, not only did it change everything for Josiah, but because Josiah was king, it changed everything for Jerusalem. An entire nation of people, just like that, were changed. And that's because they encountered truth. So, if, if you don't take anything else home today, um, I, w- I want you to take home this statement, this little piece of information, um, and that is, truth leads to change. Truth leads to change. You know, this morning we had the announcement from the elders about some incoming change, um, talking about going to uh, a two-service model to accommodate for the needs um, here at Mount Tabor. And we've talked about how there may be some changes in the future, um, how there have been some changes in the past. We recognize that change is difficult, but friends, we can see in Acts, we can see in the story of Josiah that truth leads to change. Truth begs change of us. Truth makes you evaluate what is important to you, and then it commands action upon what is important to you. Truth leads to change. And so the question is, what will you do with truth? After today, um, I I won't be speaking any more of this to you, Um, and uh, Tony will throughout the next few weeks as we go through the story of Paul, but it's up to you to decide what to do. It's up to you to decide what you will do with truth. Um, It's up to you to make that decision and make that choice. Um, and so, as as we come to an end of this this message, as the band comes back up and we prepare to sing our final song, um, you may be like Saul. Maybe you were raised with the truth. You know the verses and the stories. Maybe you've encountered Jesus in some way. If so, that means there is work to be done. There are changes to be made. And there are lost brothers and sisters in Christ who need to be saved. Or perhaps you're like Josiah. You spent your whole life believing what you're doing is right. And you have lived rather well until you encounter truth. If so, then there is work to be done. Changes to be made. And brothers and sisters waiting to guide you to salvation. I leave you with this, friends. How does truth need to change your life?